Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And the entrance of God's Word gives understanding. Today's topic is Reformation, or the Reformers, and Congregational Singing. I want us to think about the restoration of hymn singing, congregational singing that occurred at the time of the Reformation. For us to understand this truly, we have to go back a little bit in history. There was singing in the church of the Middle Ages, but it was done in Latin. It was done by the professional choirs, and it was done by the monks. Obviously, the priest also had a part in singing the liturgy when it was high mass. But the congregation itself did not sing. They listened to the choir sing. They listened uh, to the rendition of psalm singing by the monks, and they listened passively. They did not participate, and since it was in Latin, they did not necessarily understand what was being said. Therefore, they were sort of locked out of congregational singing. It was a form of entertainment, of religious entertainment, because they could hear the music They could enjoy the music, and so there was music that was being produced, but it did not involve the common people of God. Then the Reformation came with Luther and Zwingli, with Knox and with uh, Chambers in England, and with uh, John Calvin in France. We're covering uh, two or three decades there of the Reformers who came. And there was restoration of various things to the people of God. One was the restoration of the preached word, preaching the word of God in the language of the people. That was the first restoration, and that was accomplished by all of the Reformers, no matter what differences they might have. They all focused on the authority of the word of God and the necessity of reading and preaching the word of God to the people of God And so that came into full focus at the Reformation. But what about singing? What about congregational singing? So as the Reformation took root and churches were formed, the worship services transitioned to more biblical forms, but there was variation, as I've indicated. And this is especially seen in music, in singing with instruments or without instruments, when to sing, how to sing, what to sing, and even if to sing. Now, this is where things get a little strange from our ears today because we're used to singing in church. We're used to the people singing, and we're used to groups of people singing in the churches, be they choirs or or worship teams or whatever else they may be called, including soloists. So we're used to that, and we, we can't think of a time when that wasn't the case. But it was the case. Now, here's the dilemma. You must conform the church in alignment with the Word of God because you have the principle of sola scriptura. Where the scriptures speak about the worship of God, then we must do what the scripture says. But we do have two testaments. We have the Old Testament, which embraces the Old Covenant, and we have the New Testament, which embraces the New Covenant, inaugurated by Christ's own death on the cross. And so we have the New Testament to guide us 
how do the people of God interpret the Old Testament in light of the coming of Christ, and how do they apply those scriptures that referenced singing? Let me share some of those scriptures with you because it's important that we understand that singing is authorized by God's Word. Psalm 50 and verse 16 says, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you've been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Psalm 63, 7, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. And the scriptures in the Psalms also speak about singing in the congregation and the people of God singing to God. Well, let's turn to the New Testament. In Colossians 3, 16, Paul tells us that we are to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The context of Colossians 3.16, as well as the somewhat parallel passage in Ephesians 5, is the people of God in the gathered assembly. So here we have a command from an apostle that we should let the word of Christ dwell in us and teaching and admonish one another in all wisdom. And one of the ways in which we do that is by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Well, before and during the Reformation, much of Christian uh, worship, the Catholic worship music, consisted of highly florid choral works, Gregorian plain chant, and responsive songs in praise of God and in the honor of the Virgin Mary. We have to keep that in mind. The music was in Latin for and by the professionals and not by the laity. Now, since the music is involved in the whole ritual of the Mass and often involves singing to the Virgin Mary and maybe to other saints as well, when the Reformers came, they rejected those forms of worship, of singing like to Mary or to uh, just singing... uh, professionally, but not involving the Word of God. But the people of God, for the most part, as congregations, had not sung for a thousand years. They heard music in the church, but they did not and could not participate. But now Colossians tells us that we are to participate, and it tells us how we are to participate. 1 Corinthians fourteen fifteen suggests sing with understanding, means sing knowing what you're doing with awareness and comprehending the words that you're saying with comprehension. And when shall I do so? When the, what then shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will also sing praises with my understanding. So what's the outcome? I will pray with the spirit. And I'll pray with the mind also. I'll sing with the spirit and I'll sing with the mind also. So singing is authorized in the New Testament as part and parcel of the worship of God. Though that is the case, when the reformers took up the matter of reforming the worship of the church, this was not an immediate given in the same way by each of them. The first one, let's think about Luther for a moment. When Luther's reform came to the church, they did sing. 
they had hymn singing. In fact, Luther himself composed 37 hymns during his time of ministry. And he taught the people these hymns. Many of them were based on the Psalms, paraphrases, but he also taught them the doctrine of the Reformation. He taught them the gospel in the hymns. And so is teaching him the, the hymns, as he taught them the hymns, they were imbibing the gospel. They were imbibing the truth of Scripture, and they were singing it. They were memorizing these hymns and singing them in the worship of God. So Zwingli was all for the singing in the church uh, with musical instruments as well. And he did so in the language of the people. They had to have theological content, biblical content. They had to serve a purpose of the people understanding God's truth and being able to participate by prayer and praise, exhortation and teaching, etc. in the singing in the church. That was the Luther and the Lutheran Reformation. But then when we come to Zwingli, we have an opposite situation. Now, how can this be? Well, it, it comes from two different philosophies of how we should organize the worship of God. The Lutherans, and for that part also the Anglicans, the Church of England, took the position that if something was not contrary to the Word of God, that it was good and that it could be used to edify God's people and to glorify God, it was allowed in the church. So that was their view, and therefore it impacted the Reformation. They could sing songs that are inspired by the Scripture for teaching and for worship. This would involve the congregation, and it may also involve choirs as well. So that's how they looked upon worship and music. And that's the primary way that all Protestants regard things today, except for a number in the Reform camp and some in a few other smaller groups who also hold to the position that only psalms should be sung in church or that hymns and psalms could be sung in church but not with musical instruments. Okay, why the discrepancy and upon what principle is this based? Well, principle is the regulative principle of worship. In other words, I can only do in the worship of God what is actually authorized in the scriptures for me to do. And so, is singing authorized? Well, I read scriptures that shows singing is authorized. But then what shall we sing? The thing comes that, do we sing only scripture? Do we sing only psalms? Or can we sing human compositions in addition to these? And there are those who would say no. Let's think about the restoration then. First of all, let's think about Zwingli. Now, when Zwingli uh, reformed the church in Zurich, they were quite zealous about getting rid of anything that smacked of what they considered to be the superstitious, non-biblical elements that had been added to the worship of God. And so they destroyed statues and they removed anything that... Re reminded them of the kind of worship that had been going on in the church at least for the last hundred or two years. They removed these things from the church and they refused to participate in things that smacked of it for fear that this would take away from the worship of God 
and that it might still uh, lead to idolatry. And so with anti-Catholic fervor, characteristic of this era, this is Zwingli's action. So they did not sing in the church services. Now, Zwingli was killed early in a battle uh, with Catholics, by the way, and Bullinger uh, became the head of the church in Zurich. And therefore, he took this into a principle, and they did not sing during the time that Zwingli and Bullinger were in the leadership of the Zurich church. So the Swiss Reformation had no hymn singing until after the death of Bullinger. After he died, hymn singing in the form of psalms was restored to the church. But they only wanted to sing things that were either scripture itself, such as the psalms, or was clearly related thereto. Then we have Calvin. Calvin also looked upon the fact that we should sing but we should sing things only authorized by the scripture or that were scripture himself. Now, when he first came to Geneva, they did not have singing uh, in the church. Now, the church is controlled in Geneva by the city council, not by the pastor. So Calvin, you know, he was there for a brief period of time, and then he was ran out of town. <laughs> but after three years, he was invited back or two, two or three years, and he was invited back. In fact, they were begged him to come back. And so when the city council invited him back in 1541, both Calvin and Farrell made the introduction of congregational singing in corporate worship a condition of their return to the church in Geneva. Now, this was a dramatic change from the prevailing Catholic practice of uh, singing you know, the way it had been done. And Calvin came in with singing, but only singing the Psalms. He was strongly opposed to keeping any Roman Catholic elements in their worship services. As a sermon on 1 Samuel 18, Calvin declared, All that is needed is a simple and pure singing of the divine praises coming from heart and mouth and in the vernacular tongue of the people. Instrumental music was tolerated in the time of the law because the people were then in infancy. So he did not approve of the use of instruments. He made a commentary on Psalm 33, in which he said this, that the human voice assuredly excels all inanimate instruments of music. So he believed the purest worship in singing was done by a cappella, that is, the singing of of the people without the use of musical instruments and the singing of the psalms themselves. And so he set about singing and writing some psalms himself, and others were enlisted in this, and so was produced the Psalter Hymnal, which is based on the 150 psalms. It is 150 psalms. And later, there were some other psalms from other sections of the New Testament such as the Psalm of Simeon or the Magnificat of Mary. So this was the Reformation and the restoration of singing to the congregation based on two principles that are sometimes held as opposites, 
But in today's church, Protestant, we do not regard these as enemies, but as friends who can embrace. That is, that our singing should be based on the Word of God. It should be truth-filled. It should be true to the gospel. But it is not limited to only singing the words of Scripture in the Psalms. Now, it may be that some take this too liberally and do not hold fast enough to the truth of God in what they sing. But this is the way that we usually approach hymn and psalm singing in our churches today. Is this necessarily correct? Or should we do some thinking about these matters in the spirit of reforming? Uh, It's not a drastic reform, but should we really think more seriously about what we sing and how we sing in the churches of God? Remember that singing should primarily focus in praise to God and edification of the people of God. And so when we sing as congregation, we should sing psalms, and we can sing hymns, and we can sing spiritual songs. In order to glorify God, to edify the build-up members of the church, to teach, to meditate and foster Christian values, and as a means of prayer. Because many songs are actually addressed to God in the form of prayer. So this is the restoration of congregational singing in the Christian churches at the time and following the time of the Reformers. In a way, it's still going on, and sometimes the pendulum swings. We should try for balance in accordance with the Word of God for the glory of His name in the upbuilding of His church. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights.